Our scripture reading this morning is Mark 10, 23 through 27. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. This is God's word. So we finished up the series on Daniel, and I'm grateful that God allowed us to do that. That was fun. And I was asking the Lord, so what, what do you want me to do next? I mean, uh, and I kept thinking about different things, and uh, I got no clear confirmation from the Lord. Uh, no, no. <laughs> A few weeks ago, I was having my devotions, and sometimes that involves looking at Greek words, and uh, I saw this word, and it was like lightning went off. The, the word is adunatos. I'll explain it later, but at any rate, I saw this word, and it was like... <laughs> so I knew that I needed to do a sermon on adunatos. And I looked up, there's, it's used 10 places in the New Testament. And uh, adunateo, which is the cognate verb, is used a couple times. And I looked up all the places where it's used because I'm going, okay, <laughs> what, what is it I'm supposed to do here? And I found one passage where it is used, the passage that was just read, uh, adunatos shows up there. And uh, I was thinking to myself, rich young ruler, didn't I do that once at First Devan? I, I, I'm just sure of it. So anyway, I looked through all the files, and no, there was nothing there. Uh, turns out, however, that actually I did do a sermon on the rich young ruler, which is the passage that precedes the one that was just read. Uh, it will be exactly two years ago on Tuesday. There's, today's the 27th. On the 29th of August... I preached a sermon on the rich young ruler. It was the first sermon that I did as your interim senior pastor. So what I'm going to do is review, because I'm sure you all remember perfectly what I said two years ago. <laughs> so I'm going to first review. You actually get a double header today. I'm going to do two sermons. I'm going to remind you of what we talked about when we reviewed Mark 10, verses 17 through 22, because that lays the groundwork for what we're going to look at this morning, which is the verses that follow, and this word, adunatos, that shows up in this passage. So what I want you to do is think of today's sermon and the one from two years ago as bookends that kind of describe our season together. You might not remember what I said, so let me just show you and explain it to you. Now, we began with, and so everything I'm going to say for the next 10 minutes or so is review. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. An enemy is someone who desires your harm. Their method is to use kisses. They will use affirmation. They will applaud. 
to lure you and to influence what you do. A true friend wants what is best for you. But he may say or do something that hurts. You know, it says faithful are the wounds of a friend. So basically, the lesson in that proverb is don't be fooled by an enemy's kisses, but trust the wounds of a friend. Jesus is the best of friends. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus is our true friend. The cross is the proof. Because Jesus is our perfect friend, his faithful wounds are absolutely trustworthy. When, when Jesus says something that is hard to hear or does something that is hard to take, he's actually promoting our good. It may hurt. Those are faithful wounds. But if you will trust him, you can unlock powerful benefits from those wounds. The passage that we looked at was a passage in which Jesus provided a wound. But it was a faithful wound. He was a true friend to the man that we call the rich young ruler. But the recipient doesn't trust the wound. And from this incident, we, we learn how we can trust Jesus when he imparts faithful wounds. When Jesus tells something, tells us something, or does something that hurts, you can trust him. And he was setting out on a journey, and a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But at these words, he was saddened. And he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Now, who is this guy? Here's a composite. This is from all of the parallel accounts, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us this story. It was quite striking to all of them, particularly what follows. By all outward appearances, this inquirer is an admirable man. He's young, he's wealthy. He's an influencer, he's upright, he's seeking Jesus, and he's humbling himself before him. And if that were not enough, Jesus looks at him, and Jesus feels love for him. He says, I love this guy. Here's the shocker. There is a spiritual cancer inside this man. He doesn't see it, but Jesus does. Now, when he came to Jesus, what was he expecting? You know, I've done all this. What do I lack? 
It doesn't tell us in the text, but I assume what he wanted to hear was, you're good, man. And there was a lot about him that was good. But when Jesus said, there's one thing you lack. But at these words, his face fell and he went away grieved. He was grieving, not grateful. Presumably, he came seeking Jesus' endorsement or approval. Clearly, he did not want Jesus' direction. He did not trust the faithful wounds of his true friend, Jesus. He walked away wounded but untrusting. Jesus saw inside this man something that he didn't see in himself. His self-assessment was, I am good on the manward half of the ten. Now, when I say the manward half of the ten, what I mean is the Ten Commandments have the God word side, which is commandments one through four, and commandments five through ten are the love your neighbor as yourself piece. Don't steal, etc. Don't lie. This is all about loving your neighbor as yourself. And he thinks, I'm good. And he's not. So Jesus prescribed this diagnostic tool that would demonstrate conclusively that this man's self-assessment was totally off. It's kind of like he's going in for an MRI or a CAT scan. Jesus says, do these four things and it will reveal what is inside of you that you are unaware of. And interestingly, this diagnostic tool shines a bright light on two things. Do you really love God alone? And do you really love your neighbor as yourself? You think you do. You think you're good. There's four commands in the exercise. And these are all imperatives. He says, if you wish to be complete, go. So do what you got to do. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And by the way, come follow is a present tense. The sell and the give are aorist tenses. It's kind of point action. He says, so go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and then as an ongoing practice, follow me. Now, response to commands one, two, and three tell us does he really love his neighbor as himself? <laughs> By doing commandments one, two, and three, which is go, sell, give, he would clearly demonstrate that he truly does love his neighbor as himself. His response to command number four, and follow me, reveals his core problem. He loves his stuff more than he loves God. And that was not what he wanted to hear. Jesus was being his true friend. His self-assessment was, I'm good. <laughs> and Jesus says, do these four things and you will learn something about yourself that apparently you don't see. But this cancer will kill you. I love this quote from the Tyndale New Testament commentary. His wealth... And the status quo had more power than Jesus' words and the power of the kingdom of God. He did not trust the wounds of his new friend Jesus.
and he forfeited treasure in heaven and the opportunity to join Jesus' followers. I don't know if he ever had a change of heart. But how profoundly sad the outcome. So two years ago, I asked you, is your heart saying, yes, Lord, tell me whatever I need to hear. I will trust you even when it hurts. Here was the core question. Do I want his endorsement or do I want him to redirect me? Well, that's where we began two years ago. And it's still a great question. Do I want God to tell me what I need to hear even if it hurts? Or do I just want him to say, you're good? With that as background, then, we're ready to jump into the passage that was read this morning. And I'm going to include verse 22 in that just so we can get a little framework. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. It says he was saddened. He went away grieving. He was wounded. But he didn't trust his friend. The cost was too high. He didn't realize. Now, I'm going to show you the answer to what I'm about to say next week. And next week, we're beginning a series, The Last Word. If I only had four things to tell you, what would it be? That's what's coming. And he did not realize something that I'm going to explain next week. That the cost was actually comparatively low. He was being asked to go, sell, give. And he had no idea that he has just been the dumbest businessman ever. Come next week. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. As the young man fades into the distance, you know, he's, Jesus has said, go sell, etc. He's grieved and sad and he's walking away. And Jesus looks at his followers. Why is that so important? I'll tell you in a minute. And then he declares something. Wealth is an entrance hindrance. It says those who are wealthy, actually the, the language in the original literally is those who have things. How hard it is for those who have things. Now I won't have a show of hands but I'll, I'll raise my, my hand. Uh, how many of us rode here in a vehicle that was air-conditioned? How many of us picked something out of a closet to wear where I had to choose between different things? How many of us went to the kitchen and looked at what's there and decided what we're going to have? We have things. And Jesus says, how hard is it for those who have things to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. For the disciples, this is completely shocking information, totally counterintuitive. Riches are a sign of God's blessing, Jesus. 
I mean, here's a verse from Proverbs. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he has no sorrow to it. Just to be clear, Jesus says it once again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Really? How hard? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I realize that uh, in the 11th century, someone proposed that there was a gate in Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle where a camel could go through it if they would get down on their knees and take off their load, and that's baloney. <laughs> there is no eye of the, there is no archaeological record or anything in history from the time that says there was a gate called the Eye of the Needle. Jesus is basically saying, you want to know how hard it is for a rich man to be saved? Imagine the biggest critter we know, that's a camel. Uh, it is true that elephants were actually used in some assaults at other times, but as far as Israel's concerned, that was the biggest animal we got. It was a beast of burden that would be used to haul things. And then at, imagine the smallest opening, the eye of a needle. Imagine that camel going through the eye of the needle and of course, your mind is going, not possible. And Jesus is saying, yes. That's exactly what it's like to save someone who has things. Here's the bottom line. All who have things are lost causes. Now, the disciples are flipping out. <laughs> They were even more astonished, and they said to him, then who can be saved? I mean, in their mind, they're thinking, if those who have stuff are lost causes, and those who have stuff have the best shot at entering the kingdom, or at least that's what we've assumed, then how can anyone be saved? Now, let me take a pause a minute and just say, they use the word saved here. But I want to tell you all the different expressions that are used. So in verse 17, the rich man came and said, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Do these things that I've laid out for you, and you will have treasure in heaven. In verses 23, 24, 25, he says, Enter the kingdom of God. And here they're saying, Then who can be saved? Do you see what's happening? Inherit eternal life treasure in heaven, enter the kingdom, be saved. Those are all descriptions that f highlight a certain facet of what this impossible outcome is. Basically what Jesus is saying is through our resources and our efforts, we cannot be rescued, that's saved. We cannot live forever, inherit eternal life. We cannot transfer wealth to heaven and we cannot gain entrance to the kingdom of God. The more you have, the harder it is to see this simple truth. We are all lost causes. Jesus captures what it means to follow him in language that makes this clear and obvious. Listen to this passage. This is from Mark. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself 
and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever, get this, loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That anyone would make such a choice, pick up a cross, give up everything, is truly astounding. I mean, how is this possible? Jesus answers, looking at them, Jesus said, with people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Jesus makes eye contact. I mean, imagine, the rich young ruler has walked away, and then he's looking at his group, These are the ones who said yes. These are the ones who actually defied the odds. And the odds were formidable. Uh, you don't get this in the English, but uh, this is what's called a historical present. It's a, a use of a present tense for something that happened in the past. It's a way of saying something very vividly. And... In the account from Mark, basically what he's saying, looking at them, Jesus says, it's as if this is fixed in his mind. It's so vivid. Here's what he said. Saving people, especially those with stuff, is simply not possible. And by the way, that's the word adunatas. It is not possible for men. Whatever we consider an asset that we might bring to the table for kingdom entrance is actually a liability, a hindrance. Jesus was helping the rich young ruler by encouraging him, ditch your stuff. Here's the bad news. We are all lost causes. Good news, but not to God. On our own, we are adunatos, impossibles. But not with God. All things are dunatos with him. Hear the difference between these words? Ah, dunatos. It's what's called an alpha privative. It's like the word non or un that we put in front of a word, like detectable or undetectable. Ah, dunatos is not possible. But all things are dunatos with him you know I uh, spent a while since I watched it but Bill and Ted and their adventures and there's this one instance where it's so poignant uh, Rufus is describing something to them that is going to happen and they both say no way and then Rufus says, yes, way. The disciples are saying, no way. And God says, yes, way. With men, with stuff, it's not possible. But I can do the impossible. 
Now, <laughs> there's other places where adunatos is used. I'm going to show you one. God says, I can do the impossible. I can save people despite their stuff, which is a deterrent. Keeps them from seeing. They don't have anything they can bring. Is that accurate, God? Hebrews 6.18, here's the authenticity stamp. It is impossible for God to lie. By the way, that's adunatos. When God tells us, yes, with men it's not possible, but with God it is possible, and it's impossible for God to lie. God saves lost causes, and this is the truth. We are saved by believing this. It is not possible for me to save myself no matter what I bring to the table, but I believe the God of the impossible can save me even though I bring nothing. Remember when I talked about him looking at them? You know, he sees the, the rich young ruler walking away. Then he explains something, and then he says this, and he's looking at them just like I am looking at you. And Jesus says, yes, with men this is impossible, but not with God and not with me. The only thing we can bring to the table, our stuff isn't going to help in any way, is faith. Now, faith is not mere optimism. You know, it's not kind of positive thinking. Oh, if I just believe this enough. That kind of faith does not work. I can believe, no matter how strongly I believe it, that I can fly. When I jump off a bridge, you will see me hit the water or whatever it is that's beneath there, but I'm thinking of the Mississippi. No amount of believing something that is false makes it true. But if we believe what God has said, I can save you if you trust me alone. Such a person will be saved. And by the way, Hebrews 11:6. and without faith it is adunatos to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Here's what God alone can do. He can rescue us from ourselves. That's saved. He can provide an inheritance of eternal life. He can make it possible to receive treasure in heaven. He can grant us entrance to the kingdom of God. God is capable of doing the impossible, saving lost souls all. God says so. This is the truth because it is impossible for God to lie. Our part is to simply believe it is impossible to please God without trusting him. So here's a question that I need to ask. Are you a lost cause? Do you believe God alone can save you? When Jesus died in our place on the cross... He accomplished everything necessary for lost causes to be saved. Do you believe this?
then thank him. Okay, now you're ready for me to show you what caught my attention, all right? All that's just background to get you up to speed. You're going, really? I thought we were about to land this thing. Okay, well, hang on. Now, hang on to the thought, we are lost causes saved by mere faith in a God who does the impossible. Now, here is what just so arrested my attention. He wants to work through us. He wants to work through you to do impossible things. The three disciples went up on the mountain where Jesus was transfigured. They caught a glimpse of what this eternal kingdom is going to look like. They saw Jesus as we will see him when I hear that trumpet and we go to meet him in the air. Then they came back down and discovered that the other disciples, the nine, had been trying to do a work of spiritual deliverance for a young boy and had failed. Jesus then accomplished what was needed and delivered this young boy from a demon. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not drive it out? He said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith, by the way, it's impossible to please God without faith. Remember that? It's a dunatas. if you don't have faith. Because of the littleness of your faith, for truly, I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, small seed, you will say to this mountain, move from there, from here to there. It will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. And by the way, that's the verb, adunateo. It's a future tense. If you have mustard seed-sized faith, nothing will be impossible for you. God does the impossible by saving those who come to him with nothing but faith and a God who can save impossibles. And God is also interested in working through people of mustard seed faith to do the impossible. God wants to do stuff like this through you. Now, in context, the mountain moving, I'm not, I'm not confident that this does not refer to something that is in our future, that we will be able to, in our heavenly bodies, be able to actually do the work that requires bulldozers and things like that, to actually do that by just saying, mountain move, and it'll move. However, in context, where he's just dealt with the expulsion of a demon, uh, he's talking about spiritual breakthrough. The mountain that they couldn't move was to actually do a work such that a young man who was being tortured by a demon would be released from that demon. And God says, I want to work through you. And for you to be catalysts for that kind of spiritual breakthrough, I want to do impossible things through you. But faith in God is key. It's impossible to please him without faith. 
Praying for mountains to be moved is not about praying for a life of ease and comfort. You know, I realize that if a mountain's in my way, you know, being able to just, you know, move it out of the way and drive, yeah, that sounds like, oh, yeah, I can pray and God will do, you know, give me just kind of smooth sailing. It's about spiritual breakthrough when it feels like there is no way. We pray by faith. Even if it's mustard seed, it's faith. I trust God. And he says, yes, way. Rochelle and I uh, went to the theater and watched the Jesus Revolution. Then it showed up on one of the services and we watched it once again. And because Rochelle and I were there during that season, it was very nostalgic to watch. And I have a longing in my heart for God to do the impossible once again. I long for him to work through us to do impossible things. This is his longing too. Listen to this verse. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. He's looking in this room right now. He's looking for those whose hearts are his. And he's saying, I want to do a dunatas through them. Well, that was the Old Testament. Okay, New Testament. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God wants to do impossible works of spiritual breakthrough through you. So who's your lost cause? I've gotten to know you during this season enough to know that there are in your orbit, and I'm going to try and not look at anybody, there are in your orbit people that you would put in the impossible to save category. Some of you know someone who's in spiritual bondage. They need breakthrough. I am absolutely confident that there are many in this room who are staring at a mountain. Are you or someone you know facing divine discipline or faithful wounds? Is someone you know in the grip of an addiction has one of your children walked away from God? Is one of them in rebellion? Are you estranged from family members and you don't see how it could get better? Are you in constant pain from an unreconciled relationship? Have you hit a closed door and you don't see how it could possibly be opened? I have a word of encouragement for you. The things that are impossible for us are quite possible for God. And he wants us to simply ask, 
an adunatas prayer. You ask him to show, your part, show you your part. You ask him to work through your words and your deeds, and then you do what he, he prompts, and you trust him. And then you watch. Now, I'm not picking this out as a, a big example. It just happened to be something that I showed Rochelle, and she said, oh, you need to share that. Okay. So uh, let me just show you what I have here. So this is a, a deck of cards. And I have, not a playing cards, but prayer cards. Um, and I have accumulated this over the years. Some of the cards in here are decades old. Some are fairly new. But as I go to each location, and I haven't, I've got some cards from you that are in here, but as I go to each church, no matter where I am, so this is a few churches ago, and here's a picture of four young women. Um, I got acquainted with them and their mom uh, at a previous church. And uh, it was not good at home. Divorced. But the husband was toxic. Uh, the, the daughters had to go. He had since married someone else and it was a very toxic environment and the daughters would have to have a certain amount of time where they were with him and it was not good. I remember I used to ride my bike on a certain trail and I ran into mom and the four girls and uh, just God laid it on my heart. I'm, I'm going to pray breakthrough prayer. I'm going to pray a dunitas prayer for these four. I don't know what God's going to do. But my prayer is this. Father, I am pleading with you that you would protect them from evil and that you would keep them from the evil one. Now I'm going to tell you one incident and uh, I'm not telling you that this shows uh, great wisdom but I asked the Lord what to do and this is what he told me to do. So uh, they were uh, coming to Vacation Bible School and uh, somehow... Uh, I was told the dad is mad about that. He doesn't want this. He had other words for it, but Jesus stuff. And so he has a gun and he's coming. So um, I started praying. God, I'm pleading for you to work. And so uh, we had an arrangement where, you know, I would be uh, at the entrance. We only had one entrance that was open for VBS, and I would be at that entrance if I saw him coming with the gun, there were people in the building who knew what to do to call the police. But I was prepared. It is possible, Jim, that you're going to have to deal with uh, something that is demonic-driven. And in instances in the past when I've addressed demons, I found it helpful to use a different language so, um, so that I know what I'm dealing with. So I might say to this one, Tisleonimus then, which is, what is your name? Uh, in the name of Jesus what is your name and uh, so I'm prepared for that and meanwhile I'm pleading God I need a breakthrough we never showed and those girls continued to follow the Lord and I'm praying what's your breakthrough that you need What's your impossible situation? God says, if you'll trust me, yes, way, 
I will work. Let's pray. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Make our hearts yours alone. And then work through us to do impossible things. Things that can only be explained by the hand of God. Father, in this room, there are, there's heartache, there's heaviness of heart. For those who are dealing with stuff and they need you to comfort them, encourage them, and give them boldness and courage to pray for you to do an adunatas prayer. Father, we want to arrive at a place where we're able to celebrate and say, God moved mountains with my little mustard seed faith. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, maybe you would say, I would like to enlist the help of some others to pray for spiritual breakthrough. I'm dealing with some stuff either in family or friends or relatives or whatever, and I would like to gather together with someone and figure out how to pray. So Doris Schiffwood came into my office. You can go ahead and stand a minute just so they can see where she is. And uh, she came into my office this week and she was sharing with me a situation that you probably thought I was preaching to you, but I, it wasn't just you. But she's got a heart. She would love to meet you, help you make connections, help you join with kindred souls and start praying with one voice for God to move mountains. And so if you're interested, she'll be right here after the service. You come and talk with her.